0: Well, welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and I am so incredibly thankful that you've taken time to join us today. We are continuing our series entitled, Hope for the Future of the Church. There are so many issues, so many topics and subjects over which people are divided, people in the culture and people in the church. So many things that give us anxiety, or even make us angry and upset, afraid about what the future might hold for our culture and for uh, the church specifically. And one of those topics is the topic of gender. And when we bring up the topic of gender, there are so many different opinions and viewpoints and perspectives, so many people that are very passionate about their own perspective, their own viewpoint, uh, and we can have so many divisions over this topic. What is gender what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman what's god's plan for masculinity or femininity what does it mean to be a man in the church what does, it mean to, what does it mean to be a man at home or a woman in the church or a woman at home? Uh, so many different perspectives, complementarians uh, who believe that there are distinct roles for men and women and egalitarians who sort of don't believe those or push back against the complementarian roles. And then the, the frustration and anger that different groups feel towards each other, the defensiveness that goes into all of this. But as we think about gender as we think about our roles in the church and in the world and in, the, in our families, we need to figure out how to navigate this with grace and with hope. And with that in mind, I want to introduce our guest for today, who is Dominic Venuso. Dominic, thank you so very much for being with us uh, today. Dominic is the preacher at the Rochelle Church of Christ in Rochelle, Illinois, and I am so excited to have you on the podcast, brother.
1: That's good to be on here. I appreciate you so much.
0: Well I we this is the first time we've interacted um, on online. Uh, we've interacted uh, through Facebook several times and I see your posts, I see your comments and things that you say and I have so much respect for you and and I know that you'll bring a lot of wisdom and grace to this subject. so as we as we think about, the, the state of affairs in the church, in the world, as you sort of look at things as it pertains to gender, how would you describe things? The, the good, the bad, the ugly, how would you describe the way things are today?
1: Yeah, you mentioned uh, right off the bat the way that this is such a divisive uh, topic and the way that, I mean, it's not just different viewpoints like we sometimes have on issues, but churches are splitting, denominations are splitting, brothers and sisters are are parting ways from each other. And so one way you can think about it is, is the way that different sides would look at it. So one side might tend to say one of our problems uh, is that there is maybe a doubt about what the Bible says, that, that they see maybe what the Bible seems to be saying and disagree with it. And so there's a sort of eroding of biblical, uh, trust in, in the biblical text. There are others who we might be worried are, are just playing what's, playing with what's in the Bible and are, are kind of throwing up confusion about it. Uh, There'd be things outside of our culture that people might point to of, of like a radical feminism. Uh, You mentioned the gender issues are much broader than just male and female. They even be discussing men and women in the church is sort of assuming a lot of things itself. And so a lot of people see all of that and, and see uh, a lot of reason for concern there. Um, And then people uh, maybe that, might be from a different perspective would mainly be saying we've got a huge problem of how men are treating women, not just out in the world where people kill people and that's typical, but even in the church, there is sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. There is suppression of women and and oppression of all kinds. And uh, one of the good things is that people are more aware of that now Mm -hmm. and people are talking about that now. Uh, but having a few cases where we catch somebody uh, doesn't mean that we've come anywhere close to dealing with how much of that is actually still going on. Uh, but what some of us might look at is all of that and say that that all of that is a reason for concern and that the division and the way that different terrible things are being used as leverage uh, to fight other Christians is itself one of the The reasons for concern and sometimes even people who share my uh, positions on certain things. I'm concerned sometimes about the way we invest our identity Mm. on cultural heroes who say things that sort of broadly seem to superficially overlap with what we think and and the way that it's becoming its own. This is who I am and this is what I trust uh, in a way that damages, I think, even some of our, our commitments.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. You touched on so many important things. And I, I think that we've talked about several different topics in this series, but I think this is one of the the hot button types of, of things where we not only, like you said, disagree with each other, but we vilify each other. And, and where somebody who is a complementarian Looks at an egalitarian, so a complementarian. Again, somebody for those that may not know, complementarians believe that there are distinct roles for men and distinct roles for for women in the in the home and in the church, and and they might look at an egalitarian who pushes back against those gender roles, and they say, well, you don't you don't love God, you don't love Jesus, you don't you don't believe the Bible, um, and they they vilify them as if they're the enemy, um, and, and 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 sort of lump. All of all of the other social things like uh, gender dysphoria and transgenderism and uh, radical feminism and sort of group all of that together and just say, well, these people are the enemy because they don't believe the Bible, they don't respect how God made men and women. And then on the other side, you have these people that are egalitarian um, who vilify complementarian people and say, well, you are oppressive to women, and you, you know, you are patriarchal and you know and and the even though I find myself in the complementarian camp because I, I believe that's what scripture teaches, but at the same time, they're not entirely wrong when they say there has been, like you said, abuse of women. There's been sexual abuse and there has been this sort of denigration towards women over the years and and even oppression. And so it's just such a tangled web that we have, but, as you said, I'm so glad that you said this that there is now more of an awareness of the abuse and the oppression. But I think, as with so many things, there's this tendency to pendulum swing from one side or the other, or this false binary that says, Well, you either have to be in this camp or this camp. um yeah, i I just i I appreciate so much what you what you brought out. are there what are some of the good things that you see? In the church uh, right now, um, as far as maybe from from preachers or teachers or elders or or women in the church that that you see navigating these these topics well.
1: Um. So, I have limited experience about things. So that was one of my hesitations with with this series is what do we mean by the church, and what experience do I have of the church broadly? you know? Um, but just from my own limited perspective, some of the good things that I see would be a raising awareness, a rising awareness of of these issues. and um and some of the disillusionment, which is not something you'd say is good, necessarily, but some of that disillusionment is good if our trust was misplaced if we have heroes who turned out to be wicked men, it's a good thing that we know that now. Or if we see habits that we have that were um, not allowing people to feel safe to bring accusations, it's good that we know that those things are happening now. And I also think um, all of the debates about these things, if we actually do care about what the text says, I I find them helpful, even views that I disagree with, to uh, really open my eyes to assumptions that I bring to the text. And and so I do think it gives us an opportunity to um, look fresh at what the biblical text is saying and to, to renew our commitment to being faithful to what Jesus says. And, um, and I do think we do have a wider um, appreciation of the contribution of women uh, in our churches, even in churches where we might still not think that certain roles are there as, as prejudices come down and uh, as, uh, we recognize some of that even in in churches where certain roles are still limited i still think we are maybe being able to appreciate contributions that maybe some didn't i don't know if that's generally true or not but yeah. uh, that w- would be one potential good
0: yeah that's really you, helpful
1: you, yeah what do you see
0: as some of the goods that's actually one of the things i'd be curious about yeah, and and I mean, and it's so hard to separate. And, and you're pointing out some of this. It's so hard to separate some of the good from some of the bad because I think while there, and it's hard to make general general statements and, and generalize some of this stuff. But but as we see some people coming towards a a balanced perspective, I, I I never want to present it as if the the truth is always somewhere in the middle. But there's a lot of times where that's true, where there there each side is presenting some elements of truth that, that need to be listened to. And like you said, I, I think that we're, we're reading more widely and broadly. Um, we are listening to voices more broadly and widely, uh, recognizing some of our biases. So I think, I think all of those things are, are true. And, and then I think that there's pushback to that and there's fear and anxiety and people are becoming further entrenched. And you, you mentioned, um, you know, heroes. And, and it's, it's interesting to me and very concerning to me how I'll see Christians uh, gravitating towards cultural voices, um, people in the culture—I don't want to mention any names—but especially on the more, quote-unquote, traditional side of things— People that aren't Christians in any way, shape, or form. I mean, some of them are atheist, agnostic, um, very vulgar people, and they will they will applaud these people and platform these people and put them on a pedestal because they they see them doing an important work of pushing back against the radical feminist movement or the transgender movement or whatever, and the fact that they are aligning themselves and allying. With these groups of people is very concerning to me because their the entire philosophy and worldview and perspective is toxic to the core. And the way that women are talked about, the way people are talked about, these people do not embrace the idea that we do about loving our enemies and listening to our enemies and and, and being gracious and kind. And so the fact that those are their heroes um, makes me so often feel very alone in these kinds of conversations where it it feels like there's a homelessness i i i don't i don't fit with the people on the radical left and i don't fit with the people on the radical right even in the church and so uh navigating this is very difficult but i i think you're right i think there are more people that are finding that balance than sometimes um than we recognize because they may not be the most outspoken people yes
1: that's exactly what I was about to say is that um, the good, if you actually get me to think concretely about the good I personally know, it's men and women who aren't, I mean, you're, they're not public figures that everybody knows. They're just relative to their culture, quiet. The men and the women, relatively to their culture, quiet. And if you're looking at them, you see great cause for uh, hope as you see the fruit of the spirit. But uh, it's hard to point to that as a broad thing because it's, like the kingdom so often is, hidden in some ways.
0: Yeah. Well, I I, I don't know what, what your family makeup is, but I have three younger sisters. I've got a mother who is a very passionate Christian woman. I have a wife that's a very passionate Christian woman. And so when I think about, and I don't want, this discussion about gender to focus on women, but you know, obviously, it's a it's a, a double sided uh, conversation. There's two parts to this conversation. But um, when I think about femininity in the church and strength and courage and and ability, I, I think about all of these godly women in my life um, who who would not embrace either of these extremes and have navigated this area of. Distinction uh, so well with hope and grace and love and kindness and all of the fruit of the spirit uh, for so long, and uh, I, I thought about having one of those strong, courageous, faithful women to be my guest today. Um, but in fact, I, I think that they might be some some of the women in my life might be so dismissive towards uh, the the left side of the conversation uh, because to them to them it sort of it sort of is dismissive of the role they've been playing for so long to say, um, oh well, you're oppressed and, and, and you haven't had a voice and, and and you're you've been denigrated and you've been put in the corner. And they don't feel that way at all. When I have those conversations, they dismiss those ideas as as wrong, you know, and and I'm like, well, but maybe we ought to listen to that just a little bit. And, you know, is there some truth to that? And they're like, no, that's just dumb. You know, I don't even want to have that conversation. So some of the women in my life feel like they've had a great role in the kingdom and in the family for a very long time. And that's not to say every woman feels that way. Um, but certainly, like you said, there's so many people behind the scenes that have been navigating this well and and feel like they have a voice and have done so with hope and grace uh, for a long time, but but sometimes they're not the most visible people in these conversations.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: So as we kind of transition to sort of more of a Bible study, um, what, what are some of the, the passages or the biblical ideas that shape your thinking as it pertains to this issue?
1: Um, Yeah, so for me, it's not uh, like a lot of things, it's not going to be just a couple of proof texts. And that's the way that um, certainly in the past, this debate has usually gone on is a few proof texts that each side sort of pits against the other. I think on both sides now, there is more of a growing awareness. I did some fresh reading because I was like 10 years out of date on all of this gender issues uh, stuff. So I did some fresh reading and preparation for this. And it seems like on both sides, people are more aware of the importance of the story of scripture. And they're more and more grounding their argument, again, on both sides, on the story of scripture. And, and that's what I would want to do as well. And so if we're starting with the story of scripture, of course, we start in the beginning. And that's not just because that, that's where all stories start, but also when Jesus and the inspired writers talk about this issue, it's, it is where they start. Yeah. Um, a couple of the books that I read were a couple of egalitarian books that were are produced very recently and are, are sort of uh, influential and what I re- was reminded of as I read those is how complicated some of this actually is. And if I was trying to read it from the perspective of, well, partly this this podcast, just people who be listening, who maybe don't necessarily have training in historical context, in Greek, in how you put the whole Bible together, in cultural awareness. And, I mean, like literally every part of Bible interpretation comes into uh, this issue and as I read those books, you know, I read them recently, so I there was a lot I haven't even been able to work through. I'm like, oh wow, I hadn't thought of that. But one of the main things that that I noticed as a difference is how how we read the beginning. And if you look at each of the texts on this, um, whether it's roles of men and women in the church, or uh, roles in marriage, or just marriage itself, again and again, in basically all of the texts that are directly about it, non-narrative texts that are directly about it they again and again go to the beginning. So Jesus in Matthew 19, when asked about marriage, he goes to Genesis in the beginning. Ephesians 5, uh, talking about wives uh, and men and husbands, goes to the beginning. 1 Corinthians 14 has this reference as the law also says, and people debate, is that uh, the beginning or not? But a lot of us think that he is referring to the creation principles. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, when it's talking about the head covering, goes to the beginning. 1 Timothy 2 goes to the beginning. and as I was reading some of the egalitarian works, they they will observe that any particular one of those, how you are connecting that reference to the beginning is, it's not so clear in any particular one. And I think that, that there's fair discussions to have there. But one of the things that we're all trying to do is step back and look for context, look for big presuppositions, look for big cross Bible connections. And some end up being very speculative. And it's difficult with the different speculative ones to weigh them out. But when you see again and again that they keep, and you may doubt it, one particular one, but again and again, keep going back to the beginning, it's hard not to, for me personally, to say that that's what is happening in these passages. That actually tips the scales for me in some of the more ambiguous cases, that this is what the people of God keep doing as they keep going to the beginning. And so we should go to the beginning. How much do do you want us to read uh, in this? I don't know how you normally do this. To-
0: totally up to you, brother. Totally up to you. If you, <laughs> okay. were, if you have something specific you want to read, yeah, yeah, let's, let's yeah. hear it.
1: Well, it's just tricky. I mean, like Genesis 1, uh, it, it, I assume people know it, but then ne- I sure. never know what you want to assume. But, you know, Genesis 1, he creates them male and female, and uh, he creates them in his image. And so these texts in Genesis 1 and 2 are, are where we begin. And when we look at them, what we see is that it's God who creates them male and female, And so it's God who gets to decide what the purpose of that creation is and to govern the uh, creation order. Um, And we see equality. And of course, every complementarian, uh, you wouldn't know it sometimes reading what people say about complementarians, but every complementarian will, will say, look at the equality in Genesis 1. So God creates man and woman in his image. He gives man and woman the vocation of reigning over the creation, um, and and there are several other indications of equality there. Uh, but what I want to emphasize is we we shouldn't just throw that in there as a way of saying you know we believe in equality too. Now let's talk about what we really want to talk about. <laughs> um, we need to really recognize what it means for women to be made in the image of God and to feel the very awesome weight of that when we talk about our brothers, uh, well and sisters. Uh, in this case, that these are people made in God's image. They are intelligent. They have capacity for reason. They are dynamic. They're creative. And if you want to oppress them, you're dealing with a formidable being made in an even more formidable God's image. Mm-hmm. And so equality is a very weighty and serious thing we need to pause in, and reflect on.
0: Yeah. I think so often we jump, like you said, we 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 give just kind of a passing agreement to this idea of equality and then we move on to what women can't do and 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 we are really missing the boat if our conversation about gender revolves entirely around what women can't do <laughs> there's so much we, we have to talk about what men should do what women should do the the partnership, Together that they have in God's creation in bearing the image of God, so much positive. And again, you know, this series is all about hope. and And I'm so glad that you said that because, because yes, we have to emphasize what we what we're for. I think so often, especially again, I, I hate to pick on churches of Christ, but but I I'll, this this is what I know. Um, you know, I so often. Um, we're, we're, we're known for what we're against rather than what we're for. And we are for the fact that women and men are image bearers of God. And we're for that, that partnership and that equality in the kingdom and the creation of God. And so, yeah, I think so often we just sort of pass over that so quickly. And you're right. That's a, that's a point of common ground that both egalitarians and complementarians have. And, and we need to not pass over that quickly at all.
1: And then, of course, the other part where there would be disagreement would be uh, on the distinctions. Now, and, and that would really depend who you're talking to. I mean, there's a whole range of, of views here. But but as I read the beginning, um, there is a distinction in uh, the creation of self. There is male and female, and that seems to be intentional. Um, I mean, God did it. And then uh, there also seem to be roles. And I, I, I think from our cultural perspective, it may not be clear when we look at it, But when we read what the inspired writers say, and we read people from the ancient context, they do see a distinction in roles in Adam, when we get to chapter two, being created first, and as the lone human first being given this mission, we find out in chapter one, yes, they're both given the mission, but initially that responsibility and task is sent, uh, given to the man, and then it turns out he can't do that himself, and he's alone, and Uh, It's the one thing in all of creation that's not good. And so he creates woman from man to be his uh, counterpart to join him in this mission. And there's something about that order and about the way that each character comes into the story that later biblical writers seem to see. uh, uh, There's something about that they seem to see that indicates roles uh, in marriage and somewhat more broadly, because our, our beginning text for marriage and for men and women is the same text. Um, and how that all works out is, you know, difficult to work out. But that, that's generally what, uh, what we see is there is a difference, and it seems to be a purposeful difference with different roles. Not that makes one lesser or inferior, or that makes one have some totally different mission, um, but both made in the image of God, different, uh, but set to the same uh, mission.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that, and I love that that you you started the conversation there because, like you said, every argument that Jesus or the apostles make that is about these issues, whether it's marriage or the roles in 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 family or in the church, that it's all anchored in this creation narrative, in this story, and it it is supposed to shape not only the Jewish thinking, but, but now all of us in Christ, it's supposed to shape our thinking. And it, it does, you know, one of the things that I think it, it does is it push it. This may be uh, more as we, we wrap up, I don't know, but, um, it pushes back against both sides. I think both sides of this debate tend to overstate their case, um, on the one side, the egalitarian says, well, you know, it's it's all about the fall. And and originally there was no distinctions, there were no roles, there was no hierarchy, but then because of the fall and the curse that was placed on man and woman, well then now there's now there's a hierarchy, but that's all being undone in Jesus. And the complementarian says, No, 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 it would from the very beginning, even before the fall, there were distinct there were distinct roles. But I think that the The egalitarian overstates their case some, and the complementarian overstates their case in in saying, oh, no, the complementarian says, well, men and women are totally different, just completely, utterly different. And we we assign all of these different traits uh, to masculinity. We say, well, men are strong, and men are powerful, and men are warriors, and men are this, and men are that, and men are this. Well, as you follow the biblical narrative, I, I think so much of what we think of as biblical masculinity or what's called biblical masculinity is really american masculinity or western masculinity and we have tried to impose that upon the text and assume that a lot of these things are inherently masculine or even inherently good and some of them aren't even inherently good especially as as we have been reformed and reshaped because of jesus and so those that like want that divide between men and women to be so broad and so distinct as if women are these totally different creatures and men are these totally different creatures. I think that the creation narrative, it undermines a lot of those cultural and traditional assumptions. um, These what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, stereotypes. The, the stereotypes that we have about men and women. You say, well, men men like sports and women like shopping. And it's like, I don't know, my wife likes sports more than I do. And I, I, I probably would like them all more than she does. You know, so does that make me feminine and her masculine? You know, all of these stereotypes in an effort to differentiate between... Between men and women, it really actually is counterproductive, and it's undermined by the creation story itself. And I think on the other side, you have that kind of thing as well.
1: Yeah, that kind of gets to the next stage of the biblical story, which is the fall. So you have this equality and difference for the same mission in in creation, but then right after that, of course, comes Genesis three with the fall. And with the fall, uh, you know, there's difference against, again about how people read the particular curses, but however you read the details of the curse whatever was good has clearly been corrupted and there are power struggles of all kinds men between men and men but and women and so whatever was there has become profoundly corrupted and it's not just been corrupted in one corner of the world all sin and fall short of the glory of god creation itself has been subjected to futility and the nations lie in the power of the evil one which means that whenever we get beyond what the text actually says and we start filling in, this is what we think that it means or looks like, and these are the differences and these aren't, we need to be very suspicious (laughs) because a lot of those things are going to be more informed by our fallen world, which is so complicated and not what it should be. Um, And that's true for egalitarians. It's true for complementarians. We all have to be very careful about the demonic and cultural pressures that we bring. And one of the ways you can do this is read someone who held your views 50 years ago or 200 years ago and see what they see as the obvious differences between men and women. And almost all of us will shudder at some of the things that they claimed. So um, we need to be skeptical. Of that. And again, that's one of the good things is people are losing faith in some of that fallen order. What We get sometimes get nervous that people are losing faith in biblical roles, but if we see that the whole world has lied under the power of the evil one, then actually what some of what they're losing faith in is this kingdom of sin and death, and we should not come alongside them and say, no, 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 actually the kingdom of sin and death is great for us, so we want to keep some of that. We should say, yes, that is the evil one, and that is the way of the evil one, and point them toward uh, the kingdom of
0: that i mean that's such a great point dominic i mean i i i think we could spend an entire hour just talking about that idea right there that tendency that i see right now to to push back when like when the me too movement came out i'm sure there were all kinds of negative things from a christian perspective negative things associated with the me too movement but you know there was so much of it that it was like we've been Pushing back against the world's sexuality and abuse of women for a long time, or at least we we were saying that that was something we were against and now that women are saying hey i've been taken advantage of i've been raped i've been sexually uh, assaulted i've i've been you know these men that were in powerful positions, they use that position to to put me in a vulnerable position i mean we should have been like yes, platform these women. Let's speak out against this. We should have partnered with with that pushback. And instead, it was like we were partnering with the abusive men. And it was like, no, so you're on the side of these sexual predators? I don't even understand why we are allying ourselves with, as you said, the kingdoms of sin and death. We We ought to be you know, saying yes, I don't, I don't agree with radical uh, feminism or whatever, but I do agree that men have been sexual predators and and they've abused their their power and their positions. And as Christians, we ought to be the first to to expose the sin. But I, again, I, I think that so often we're in in a defensive mode. We are entrenching ourselves with all the wrong people and for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. One of the uh, things that I f- uh, feel
1: uh, confused about or surprised by or don't don't really understand is um, because I am complementarian, uh, because I believe there are biblical gender roles, when I see radical feminism or I see the bad things in the culture that are pushing against what I see in scripture um, and see the fruit of that, societally, my first thought is not they are the problem, Uh, even where there might be things I disagree with precisely because I'm complementarian. And what I mean by that is if we believe men have the responsibility of leadership, um, it's really weird when things go badly wrong that we say it's the women you gave us uh, that are the problem. It doesn't really make sense. I could understand um, someone who doesn't really believe what the Bible says about male leadership handling things that way. But when I see things going wrong, my first not thought isn't how do we how do we confront that? it's what's going wrong in our leadership, what's going wrong in our teaching that this fruit is coming about. Um, this would take a whole lot, lot of time uh, so but a thing I'd recommend people doing is read judges closely with gender roles in mind. And what you'll see is yes, there's some of the most subversive stuff happening there but the blame is placed on men. And I think that would be one of the things we should walk away from when we see this fallen world is the responsibility of men and how we've failed. Um,
0: uh, do you have more on that or I have another part of the story we can move on to? No, I think, I think that's exactly right. I think that's so important that, that, I think that that power struggle is exactly what the fall is all about. And like you said, it, there, there's so many more applications to that than simply, um, men and women, it's, it's men and men, it's women and women. It's, it's all of these, these power struggles and these power dynamics that we have going on, um but like you said if if we do believe that that scripture is calling men to lead then it has to be then then the buck has to stop here we have to be the ones to take responsibility and to say we haven't led well we've we have and again generally speaking abused our power and and used it to to control and to manipulate and to abuse and to oppress and and people are right for calling that out the answer the solution is always Jesus. It's always to come back to scripture, but I think people are right in calling out those problems that that male leadership has had.
1: Yeah. So what you just said is, of course, the last part of the story, which is Jesus. So men have the responsibility. And when you look at, one, one of the ways I see uh, complementarianism come out, by the way, is Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. When the human story is told, the sin is held to Adam even though technically Eve sinned first, it's Adam who's held responsible. But the solution is not one of us says, all right, I'm Adam. I've got my beard oil. I'll pick up heavy things. I put them down and I, I fixed it. Uh, th- that's not how it comes. It's a new Adam, not from among us, one that God sent as he took on flesh and dwelt among us. That is the Adam who now fixes what we have failed to, to fix. And so, Uh, we see Jesus, his gospel, as the solution. His life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his outpouring of the Spirit, and his promise to return. These are the things that bring justice. These are the things that save humanity. These are the things that empower us uh, to be what we're supposed to be. And so here we could talk again about a lot of text. I don't know how long uh, you plan to to go on these, but maybe just reference quickly, just so we make sure we mention some of them, that Galatians 3 means that we all now are one in Christ, male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, or free. We are all one in Christ where we didn't have a place because of different kinds of sins and oppression. We now all have a place. Um, One of the uh, powerful ways of illustrating this is oddly um, muted in gender-neutral translations. Um, A lot of the gender neutral translations are helpful because they make us realize it's for all of us. But one of the things that sometimes gets muted there is uh, that we are all sons. And we want to say, well, we're all sons and daughters. And, And that's right. And so I'm fine with translations doing that. But you do have to remember that these were written in a patriarchal world. And what is being said is that there are rights and there are privileges and there's an inheritance that is unique to sons. And now all of us, male and female, are in that sense, Sons, because of what Christ has won for us and the redemption he has secured. Um, So there's the blessings Christ himself gives us of forgiveness and of life and renewal. And there's also the way he has redefined rule. And I I did want to make sure I said something about this, uh, because to me, along with Genesis 1 and this, these are the two most important things to say about this topic. When people say, Do you believe in complementarianism or do you believe in patriarchy or do you believe in hierarchy? There's a word sort of built into that idea. And that is that archy word, the, the word rule. Well, do I believe in hierarchy? Uh, do I believe in rule like the nations think about hierarchy? Do I believe in patriarchy in the way that the nations think of patriarchy? Well, here's the text I do want to read. So let's go to Mark uh, Mark 10. Let me, I got to flip there. I um, should have this ready, I suppose.
0: Now I'm so glad that you're going there as you turn over there I'm so glad that there's so many things that you just pointed out even even the Galatians 3 idea of of sons uh, that's something that I often try to point out in that text as well that that women aren't made to be men in Christ but they are made to be sons they they are full heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham just as Gentiles don't become Jews in Christ but they do become the sons of Abraham. They do become descendants mm. and, and heirs of these promises. And it's interesting with that text how, how you have some people who try to eliminate gender differences or gender distinctions, but at the same time would want to highlight racial or ethnic distinctions. And, and they would say, oh, no, 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 being in Christ doesn't get away from the ethnic distinctions. Our, we have a beauty in all of these ethnic distinctions. And I would agree with that and say, amen, amen. Yes, it's it's a beautiful thing that every tribe and language and and uh, nation has come before the, the Lamb and is worshiping together, one in Christ. And I don't think that we should try to eliminate or erase those ethnic distinctions. But then the same people would turn around and, and try to uh, erase the distinctions between men and women, and then again, different people would try to dis- uh, erase one distinction but not the other. And it's like, no, 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 it it can't be. It can't be that. It has to be both. It, this has to apply to everything. In Christ Jesus, we are not all the same, but we are all unified. As you said, we are one in Christ Jesus. He takes all of these varieties of people, men and women, slaves and free uh, Jew and Gentile, and he makes us all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're the same, but it means that we're equal. It means that we're all, we all, I love the way you said, we all have a place in Christ Jesus. And that unity is so important. And and there's always diversity with unity in Christ. And it's a beautiful thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. Amen. So uh, Mark 10, um, verse uh, 43. Well, let's start with 42. And Jesus called to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if that is what rule means now, it is distinctively, explicitly not the rule that we all understand being part of the nations. I don't believe in patriarchy of that kind, of that rule. I don't believe in hierarchy even of that kind, of that rule. The rule that we believe in is the self-sacrificial initiative of Christ, and the self-giving, the self-denying of Christ. And so when we talk about headship, the Bible doesn't say, you know, be ahead. make women submit. Uh that, that is not ever the command. Sometimes that's the command Christian leaders give. I, I know uh people who've had leaders in the church say, you need to get your wife under control. Hmm. That that's not something I see in scripture at all. That's let's do what the Gentiles do. Um that man, it does not sound like, was saying, you need to get crucified more for your wife, uh, which is the only real rule that we we have. Um, I'm also concerned in in the culture of people who are wanting to give that now to everybody, um, that we're going to solve uh, the problem of male rule by giving that same kind of lording it over to everyone to battle it out, that that won't, won't help. What we need is this new way of being human that the new Adam, our husband, has done for us, Um, And let that define what headship is, and let that be the pattern that godly women want to join uh, and participate in as we try to serve beyond ourselves uh, to to bring blessings to the nations.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful thought and a beautiful reality that I think so often gets left out of this conversation on both sides, that is whatever the solution is it has to be shaped like the cross The the it has to be a cruciform solution and that means that both men and women coming together as image bearers of god but also reflecting the gospel and the the as you said the self-giving initiative of jesus i love that phrase um that's exactly what we have to practice and if it's not if if this conversation both in the in theory as we discuss it but more so in practice if there's not the fruit of the spirit if it's not full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness then it, it's not christian and th- i think that's one reason why so many on the tra- quote-unquote traditional side are so quick to run to these culture warriors who are not christians and to platform them as spokespeople for traditional gender roles that they, they didn't ever understand in the first place that cultural masculinity was not Christian masculinity and, and cultural femininity was not, was not Christian femininity either, that it has to be uniquely Christian. It has to be uniquely cruciform and self-giving. And if it's not that, then no matter how we slice and dice it, it's not going to reflect the gospel. It's not going to be, quote-unquote, biblical,
1: that's right. Um, one of the texts that's a very similar, of course, is Ephesians 5 about husbands and wives. And he patterns the roles of men and women on uh, Christ and the church. And you know, you were talking before about um, how sometimes people say this is the way men by nature are, or this is the way women by nature are. And some of that might be turn out, you know, God knows that part. I don't know that part. But it's not essential in any way to this view because what Ephesians 5 says is he starts talking about marriage and he goes, actually, I'm talking about a mystery. Mm -hmm. It refers to Christ in the church, which means in a way that marriage is not even about marriage. We are actors in a drama that is not about ourselves. And if you're an actor in a drama that is not actually about you, you can play a role that you don't necessarily have everything. I'm not actually Christ. (laughs) Um, And so there are things that I do not have uh, when I play that role. But I'm trying as best I can filled with God's spirit to to point to that. And so uh, this idea of looking at other cultural heroes and and getting on forums that teach me how to be a man from a bunch of, you know, immature, worldly men, uh, complementarianism is not the gospel. Traditional moral uh, views are not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of King Jesus and what he has accomplished and what he is doing through his spirit. And that can only happen. Uh, if we put our faith in in that gospel. So our marriages should point to the gospel, but they, they are not the gospel. And what happens when we make them the gospel is we trust people who don't have the spirit, we trust wisdom that's not from above, and we become territorial and tribal and do all of the things that end up being patriarchy, the worldly patriarchy, where we, we've we got to make sure we started this institution that defends biblical gender roles. Oh, this guy turns out to be you know guilty of some terrible sin against women. Well, we've got to cover that because we're the salvation. We, this is going to hurt our view. Well, if, if you make your institutions, your heroes, and complementarianism its own, this is how we're going to save the world, it will just bring more curses to the world mm-hmm. because it's a false gospel. We can quietly... Point to the gospel in our marriages, but we can't be the gospel itself. Christ uh, is the good news.
0: Wow, that there's so much truth to that, and I love even just that idea that we are we are actors in a drama that's not about us. It, that selflessness that says my marriage isn't about me getting what I want, and and I think that when. When that's our agenda, when our agenda is, how do I get what I want? How do I get the power that I want? How do I get the pleasure that I want? How do I get the stuff that I want? Whatever it is, whether it's men or women that are playing this game, we we end up being the very problem for that 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 humanity has had since the very beginning that is what sin is all about and and as you said the gospel transforms us to be selfless and to to live out and to act out this drama about Christ and the church that that's not even really about me um but that's a so much of what we're talking about here Dominic is you said in the very beginning it's complicated and it's nuanced and i think sometimes both sides of any debate, but especially this debate, oversimplify things. Um, it, it's a beautiful truth, but it's it's sort of a complicated truth about the gospel that that centers on Jesus. Uh, but as we sort of move to the the conclusion of this discussion, and and as we say, what could give us hope? As we look at it, we say this is a complicated problem that's complicated by agendas and the culture and. Uh, you know the the tension and the power struggle that we've had since the beginning, what hope is there for the church if we were to really embrace these these biblical truths that you've laid out so beautifully what what could be the the future that that we might experience if we live this out
1: so if we are putting our faith in Jesus and we are born again people who have the spirit living in us, we have a great opportunity in this generation to to make progress because we can listen so one of the first things is if we're quick to listen we will learn a lot right now um you know i' debated telling a story because it could sound weird at the beginning but i got in this um face public facebook discussion that got heated it was one of these things where cultural stuff and religious stuff overlaps and it was with two women which isn't very common uh where you get in arguments with women online but or at least not, not me but uh but this happened and it, i it got kind of out of hand and i wasn't sure what to make of it the reason I'm telling the story is a, another woman sent me a private message and her concern was that these women were talking to a man in a way that was not submissive. Hmm. And when I was thinking about that conversation, it, that's not what crossed my mind at all. <laughs> I, I was mainly thinking like, were we acting like Christians, uh, any of us. The gender dynamic literally did not occur to me. And so I asked my wife afterward, is, is that how um, it is for you? That you're always in everything thinking about, did I talk the right way as a woman to a man? And she said, absolutely. Um, And and I've heard a lot of other people say that, that every interaction, they're very concerned that they're going to usurp authority, something like that, which is not something I've ever, I just, it's not how I view these things. And so that was a place where, because all this stuff is sort of going on, I've been more aware of, oh, even if I don't say to a woman, you better watch out how you talk to me, that might be what she's thinking while I'm talking to her. And uh, so that gives me a better opportunity to speak to my sisters as sisters and my older sisters as mothers in a way that is respectful, but says, you're my sister, you're my mother. I want to hear what you have to say, Uh, like our own Lord did when women spoke with him. Sometimes in very spicy ways, they spoke with him and he pointed to their faith and listened very uh, carefully. So I guess broad, that's just one example of broadly, we have a lot of great opportunities to learn and how to be better servants and to be better leaders. The second thing is, uh, in general, with these sorts of issues, um, First Peter, his question, who is there to harm you? Who is there to harm you? A lot of what we fear on these things is preaching positions, if I hold this position, if I don't hold that position, cultural pressure, if our church holds this position or not, uh, what are people going to say if we we take these views on women or on men? Um, but Peter, who calls us to follow Christ, says, who is there to harm you? And if you actually think in terms of what we're called to do in our roles, I think it's a very fair question. Even in this very um, conflicted culture, who who is there to harm you? If what you are primarily doing as a man is taking up your cross to deny yourself and to serve others and to be the one who initiates reconciliation, who initiates apology, who initiates love and self-sacrifice, your neighbor is not going to go, my neighbor's a Christian. You know what he did? He, he came over here and he, he loved me first. you know that's not, that's not what's gonna gonna happen or if you're a woman. Uh, when I read the gender roles, one of the ironies is a lot of the passages are saying this is how we are good neighbors. this is how we don't bring offense. And yet in our culture, it's some of those texts that are the loudest and most offensive. And that that, that conflict really bother, bothered me and in some ways still does. But one of the things I realized is the actual women carrying out those roles, those women who are being strong and dynamic, and who are serving, but who are doing so with a Christian spirit, a quiet spirit, I don't think that's really what's offending the culture. I don't think that's really what is causing people to to uh, give a bad name to Christians. And so, I think we need to realize there's no one to harm you. I don't think there's people trying to stop you from taking up your cross. They might be trying to crucify us, <laughs> but they will not. Try to stop us to take our cross, and if they do end up being offended by that, it's the gospel they're being offended by, and that that that's something that we don't have control over, and is is the nature of being a Christian. And then the final thing uh, about the future of the church, I was thinking about this idea of future of the church. What do we mean by the church? You know, the the status of egalitarianism and complementarism and all that in the global church is all over the place. Um, And it's not a clear, it's not clear to talk about it, but I can say the future of the church is the final step of the trajectory on men and women. It begins with men and women in Genesis one, and it ends with Christ and his bride in revelation 21. And that's the future of the church that is guaranteed. I I don't know about my particular local church. I don't know about a particular movement of churches or Christianity in a region. I don't, I don't necessarily say, Hey, here's our hope that things are going to, we're going to have a great life here. I, I don't have that. But I know the guarantee is that whatever men fail, whatever women uh, respond poorly to that failure or whatever, I know that Christ is the great husband and Christ's love never fails and Christ only has uh, the the self-giving power and he redeems us with that power and he will redeem his bride and he will present his bride in splendor and we will, all of us, all of us enjoy this great marriage supper. Uh, Of the Lamb, and that is the future we try to point to in our marriage. When we invite people into our home to watch us, when we invite people in our church to watch us, that's the story we're wanting to tell them. And however perfectly or imperfectly any particular person may do it, Christ is bringing His bride uh, to that end. And that's that's a reason for hope for sure.
0: Yeah. Amen. Amen, brother. I mean, that's that is what gives us hope in the present is by looking at the future and knowing. It's all going to work out and there is going to be that ultimate beauty and unity and reconciliation and there's going to be no more power struggles and there's going to be no more ambition and there's no good going to be no more oppression uh or or being uh predatorial or whatever is plaguing humanity now all of that's gone and then we do our best to live that out in the present and if we'll just do that then it, it can be better than it is and ultimately it will be. It will be perfect in the end. So, Dominic, thank you so much for your thoughts on this, for uh, what you're doing for the kingdom of God, and and uh, I I pray that uh, the Lord continues to bless you, brother.
1: Thank you so much. God bless.
0: Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.